Hello and welcome to Turtle Tracks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here today with Michael Pressman, the director of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Use. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing <laughs> well to be here. Thanks so much for being here with me. I really appreciate it. You're more than welcome. So I guess I'll just kind of dive right in. Uh, what, what brought you to directing Ninja Turtles 2? Um, that's a really interesting question. I, um, had directed almost, what, six feature films when I started my career, which was, uh, way beyond what I expected. It was kind of like a sort of meteoric beginning. And one of the big successes I had very early on was the sequel to the Bad News Bears, the Bad News Bears and Breaking Training, which, um was sort of the, the big hit I had as a, as a beginning director. Um, and then uh, several really interesting films, films that I'm proud of, but nothing that was as successful as the, the Breaking Training. And um, found myself uh, going into television movies, of which I directed about 20 television films. And I always said that going back to direct television movies was like, Going back to film school, I got to make three movies a year, hire crew, art direction, work on the script, be left alone, make a film, and a variety of projects. And then one day, I got a phone call from a producer who I had worked with on a television movie, and he said, I just got interviewed to be the line producer on the sequel to The Ninja Turtles. And... Um, they're looking for a director who uh, knows how to work fast. And also, uh, they've asked me about you because your big success was a children's comedy sequel. Hence the Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. So, and then I had done features, but now I've been working in television and it seemed to fit all the... the the uh, the boxes and I um, I went well you know I know nothing about the Ninja Turtles Jesus so I was doing a television movie at the time with a starring a young boy who was about 10, 10 years old and I said what this movie just came out what what do you know about the turtles and he proceeded to go nuts and tell me every single thing about them. And I said, because I might get a chance to direct the scene. And he went, he went further nuts. It was like, oh, my God. Couldn't believe it. So I realized it had an audience. <laughs> and I went to see the original, which I liked very much. And I went, well, you know what? I can do something with this. Let me. I read the script, and then I met with the producer. And um, it was... Uh, a big leap of faith on their part and on mine because it seemed to be the furthest from anything that I had ever done. And um, uh, I found it to be an incredibly challenging project and one that I loved doing because I got to work with stunts and puppeteers and creatures and effects. And this was a humongous budget at the time. It was $40 million dollars for a non-union film shot in North Carolina, we shot for 75 days, two units going all the time. And um, it was, uh, it was thrilling. 
Wow. So when did you join? Because I know, so the first movie came out in 90, the second one, 91. And I know they rushed like crazy the second one to make it happen. When did you kind of, how much time did you have? I remember that they had been working on a script. So when I showed up, if the movie opened in March, I was meeting in either beginning, middle of April. We made the deal and I had May. And it's interesting, the, the hardest, the most important period of that film was the prep. Sure. Because we prepped from May, June, July, August. So it was like May, June, July, like four or five months. And then we started shooting at beginning of September, end of August and shot from August to the end of December. And then we edited and post-production the film in January and February and two weeks in March. And it came out March 26th, the following year. So it was um, uh, a very, very intensified schedule. Yeah. But one that I was already somewhat used to having done the television movies. Oh, that's true. You got to be much faster and leaner on a TV movie than you do have to be. Oh, that's interesting. But I will share with you, you know, something that always, you know, it's a question down the road, but I can share with you now, actually, is that the greatest challenge was that every turtle consisted of four different performers. There was the actor in the suit who had to be somewhat of a mime in terms of the physical action, and they were wonderful actors, theater trained, um, who, who played the roles. And then we had, and they wore these 20 to 30 pound helmets that had servers in them, which was um, remote uh, devices so that when the puppeteer, who I considered to be the second actor, who was off camera, could remotely move the muscles in the face through these servers. So the mouth could move and the eyes could move. And, you know, there was rubberiness to his brilliant design, but they would put helmets on the puppeteers would have helmets with matching mechanical servers on their face. So when the puppeteer said, hello, my name is Michelangelo. And he would speak very uh, uh, extreme. The, server would capture his movement of his mouth and it would get electronically remotely transferred to the mask that the actor was wearing. Oh, wow. So that kind of leapt ahead from what the previous movie did, because I think it was much... I know that the, the technology had advanced from movie one to movie two, but I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah, I, I think they did some of that too, but they had a lot of problems in movie one and yeah. in two, we were able to refine it. Um, so that was two people. The third person that was important was that anytime there was a stunt or any kind of action, we would always cut and put in another actor in a very light headed helmet, which was without the servers. So it was like literally a very, you know, one, two pounds. And it was a a stunt guy who could do flips and kicks and backflips and, you know, everything and very light suits. And that was the third person. And then the final person was literally a full month of post-production in which every um, pup, every turtle, in fact, pretty much even the creatures and everything, 
was re-looped with a different actor. So we had, let's say, for example, the character playing Michelangelo was a British puppeteer, so his, he spoke with a British accent, and then we had to loop him with another actor who was playing Michelangelo and whose voice we used. So every line was, was, was looped in the movie. The, uh, that, that must be so hard to have had them all line up just perfectly. Totally. It, it was really hard. And of course, the even more uh, challenging thing was that the actors in the film who were playing, not the turtles, but like the woman playing uh, April O'Neil and uh, uh, the professor and David Warner and, uh, uh, you know, all the other actors had to act with um, these guys in suits whose voices were coming from the uh, puppeteer off camera. So it was very odd. I'm sure that must be disorienting, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, um, uh, the, uh, the first movie and the second movie kind of have a, a tonal shift where the second one's a little lighter. I, I'm Correct. Curious, do you know, it, was that already kind of baked in before you joined or was that part of your input? I'm curious. It was a little baked in. They wanted, they had had some criticism from the first film that the, uh, it was a little too violent and that it wasn't appealing strongly enough to younger kids. I liked the idea of going lighter with the second and I liked the idea of making it more of a Marx Brothers dash Three Stooges kind of movie as opposed to, you know, dark and serious. And so... It really, it. I think we really went for the comedy in the second film, and that I mean, such a fun so that, movie. Was, that was the intent, and yeah. that was what they wanted, and we sort of ran with it. Very cool. Yeah, it's such a fun movie. I mean, I, there's so many like like really silly, great things from it. I mean, did, did you, uh, you know? I want to ask you about the whole musical number with Vanilla Ice. Well, do you oh, yeah. have anything about that? Well, that was pretty crazy. I mean, it was like, you know, right in the heat of it was like, it was, uh, oh, we got Vanilla Ice to, to write this song. And I had to tell you, Vanilla Ice, who's this? And it was like, what was it? Ice Ice Baby. Was that his Was that his song? Yes. Yeah. And so uh, he showed up for a few days and he was a, a bit of a character. And uh, he was he was game. You know, he certainly had fun doing it. Um, but, you know, the... It was, what else can I say, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so many things in there that are just like, that just, you know, I'm, I'm also curious, um, some of the changes from the first one, if you don't mind my asking, like there was, um, there was a change in who played April. Do we know why that took place, sir? Um, you know, that's interesting. Um, Judith Hogue played the first one and I actually had met her and, uh, had almost cast her in another film and terrific actress. And something happened in the relationship to the company. And I think she didn't enjoy making the film or something happened. And when I showed up, they were recasting. Oh, I see. Um, and so now we did a set of auditions and um, we cast a, a wonderful lady whose name is escaping me. Paige at Turco. Paige Turco, of course. Paige, yeah. who's, who's, who's done done beautifully, and she was terrific to work with. And I so enjoyed Paige, and then um, have seen her over the years and worked with her husband, 
who played in that series, um, Life on Mars. Oh, okay. I, I didn't realize. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Paige, um, we we did recast, and it was I was kind of a given. I came in, and I said, "Oh Jesus, Judith, Judith's not doing it," and uh, never got to the bottom. And then the uh, storyline for the Casey Jones character um, with Elias uh, um, Cotis. Elias, a terrific actor who I yeah. had given like his one of his first roles to a small part in a television movie, and oh wow, yeah, and so loved him. But they they didn't write him in. It was like that story's done, and uh, mm. Elias has gone on to great work, and he's a really terrific actor. And uh, we subsequently worked together again later on a reading, and you know, but I really enjoyed him. It's just they went and you know they had this new um, uh, Kino played yeah. by Reyes, you know. So there you have it. Do you know why? Um Toka and Razar were brought in as opposed to Bebop and Rocksteady? Because that was always... I, I know, I know. And and I don't know the background other than maybe it had to do with rights issues or they wanted to create their own characters. And uh, so this was sort of a creation from scratch. And I don't, yeah. I don't know the actual reasons why. I was sort of like, all right, here we go. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't a devoted Tin Ninja Turtle fan. <laughs> so I wasn't about, oh, where's Bebop and Rockstar? You know, I was like, okay, we've got Tolkien and Razor. <laughs> that You're was how I was. in your own right. I mean, there's still, I don't know if you know this, but like there's a, a, a toy company that puts out all these really detailed toys of them and they're creating Tolkien and Razor in the very near future that look, Fantastic. So they're beloved characters in their own right. You mean tell me they haven't come out yet? They're still ready to come out? No. Uh, so, I mean, they hang out with toys back in the day, but uh, there's new toys coming out now of the old movies. And there's a Toka and Razar toy that's coming out probably within the next month or two from a company called NECA. And they look like shrunken down versions of those crazy suits. Oh, well, that's good to know for grandchildren, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they're very cool. And like, so they're, they're very beloved characters in their own right. And, a couple other turtle cartoons and stuff have carried on the characters. So they've, they've, people have embraced them for sure. So. You know, one of my favorite stories that I experienced on the film was one, the sound man, uh, his son was there visiting. He must've been about eight years old. And uh, we were shooting in one of the large stages where we were with the tunnels and down in the basement and, you know, where the subway was and all that stuff. All those were sets amazingly beautifully designed large sets and you know i was seeing this little boy and he was sitting there watching everything wide-eyed and i said hey you know what I, I gotta ask you a question i said uh um do you think the ninja turtles are real and he looked at me and said well of, of course they're real like that like what are you, are you serious of course they're real yeah. I said, well, then who, who are these guys? Who, who's, who's these? And he went, oh, come on. They're just actors playing their story. So it was like, this was just actors playing the turtles. The turtles are real. Yeah. It was just, you know, you guys are making a movie about real people. It's just, you don't have them. You've got the actors instead. I, told, I, I don't know when I eventually came to that realization. My daughter is, is five, and I've still kind of purposely kept her in that place where no, that like that's still at least for the you know for your movie and and the previous one like they look real so you can kind of keep them that way. 
I didn't see these uh, latest redos, the ones that were all um, done GC- CGI. I don't know if they, I don't, they seem so different in tone and in yeah. terms of the approach because we actually, um, uh, I thought what the greatest pleasure in the originals was that it, it was so real. They were real actors in those suits. And then I gather what happened later was that they were uh, CGI creatures, right? They weren't people in suits. Yeah, they were. C- I think they had stand-ins, but they were all CGI. And frankly, like I still, I mean, I don't think it's just nostalgia talking. I think that the 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 hard, tangible puppeteers, like I think that's just more real feeling. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think it it, it was less um, special effects. Yeah, and there wasn't any. Yeah, there was the 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 puppeteering and the details on the puppets were good enough, and the sets were always dark enough where you couldn't see the seams. So, like, it was I don't know something about it still seems more tangible. Well, you know, in, in truth, I will say in thinking about it, we had puppeteers, we had great sets, we had the suits that they were wearing, um, but we didn't have special effects. No, no, yeah. There was no special effects. You know, it was just all in the design. So it was a very elaborate designed movie. The um, Speaking of sets, uh, one thing I wanted to bring attention to was that sewer set, which was incredible. I mean, like, the the, the subway train, the kind of grand-looking right. thing, that was a great set. It was a great set. I will just tell you that it was one of my favorite sets. It's really... Um, incredible because uh we had the cobwebs and you know it took us you know we would do like three shots a day and you know it was so complex because um you know you had to figure out the sets and also figure out where you would put what we now today normally call video village but we had four puppeteers with their stands having to be in location so that you could have the uh, the remote control servers work so very complicated and um you know it was uh it was a great designer who did it i think roy ford smith was the designer if i'm not mistaken but oh i should try to see if i can find him i just I, it's one of those things where i the- don't think he's oh you know what i shouldn't say that like i'll go check it out if he's still with us <laughs> i mean that was he was an older man and it was a long time ago so oh, okay i'm gonna check as we talk sure that's fine <laughs> yeah um you know, speaking of sets, they also... Ooh, he died in 2017. Oh, okay. And... Just so we pay him proper respect? Yeah, we are. And he did... Oh, what wonderful things he did. Roy Forge Smith, The Ghost Whisperer, and Python's Holy Grail. Wow. Oh, wow. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That's a diverse career. I know. 88 <laughs> years old. He lived to 88. And then they've advertised Ninja Turtles. He did. He did. Um, oh wow! He did all three of them, the Ninja Turtles. Well, that set would go on to be used in three, and even the very short-lived series TV show. Really? Well, he uh, uh, he was a very talented man and a very very nice man, and I really enjoyed working with him. And I think I had done a television movie with him earlier although i don't see it in the credits actually oh maybe he was the art director but anyway he had i done a t he was from he was from canada oh, okay 
Yeah, Mrs. Sofal, that was a good film. Yeah, no, good work. There's some other cool sets, too. I mean, the junkyard was very cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All of it. I mean, that was all indoors, right? Because, I mean, it took me, I'm I'm just assuming, but it didn't. All the night stuff was indoors on stages. The only scene that we built, there's two scenes that we built outside, and that was the daytime junkyard, if you remember. Oh, okay, okay. I think it's uh, Raphael shows up in the day, which is Mm -hmm. very risky. He takes a big risk and he gets almost, he gets found, right? Don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was a big risk on Raphael's part to go to the junkyard in in the day. And um, so that was a day, that was an exterior on, on the lot in North Carolina. And the other exterior, which we did day and night, was the New York back street in North Carolina. With when the when Re, Toka and Rezar destroy the street. Oh yes, yes, yes. You know, and my parents try to get into a cab, which was I cast my. Parents. Oh, that's your parents. Yeah. Let them find their own cab. Is that yeah. your mother? My mother. Let them get their own cab. That's that's one of my favorite jokes in the movie. I didn't know that. Yep. Yep. I love that joke. It's such a great New York joke. I love that. Totally. Joke. Well, that was my mother. <laughs> that's and, fantastic. Uh, I did not know that. <laughs> um. You know, you're talking about uh, uh, David Warner. What was what was he like to work with? Because he seems like he's great in the movie. I love him. He's wonderful. He was wonderful, wonderful man. Obviously, brilliant actor. And he had an 11 year old daughter who loved the turtles. So when we went out to him, or his agent contacted him, he was so excited to make the movie. He says, "Finally, I'm going to make a movie that my daughter wants to meet his, wants to see me in." <laughs> you know, so his his goal, his motives were very clear. He wanted to be a little bit of a hero to his daughter. He's been in so many other important, great roles. But I saw him as that when I was a kid. Every right. time he's in this great, dignified role, I'm like, oh, my God, it's, it's Professor Perry, which is the worst. <laughs> no, I know. I was going, oh, my God, it's Miss, it's Mr. Bliffle and Tom Jones, you know. But- Let me ask you something about his character. So there is a kind of persistent uh, uh, rumor or something that there was a, either in the script or a deleted scene that he was supposed to be this alien creature um, where he would like, so in the cartoon, there's this brain who lives in a character's belly and that he was supposed to have that in his belly hidden towards the end of the movie. BS, right? Never yeah, happened. Never happened. <laughs> hey, 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 hate to ruin it for you, but no. No, that's no. fine. Yeah, no, that, that's a fantasy. It may have been in the comic book. Sure. Yeah, it was. Oh, 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 like the adaptation. Oh, yeah. okay. That's interesting. I, I didn't think it would. I see, like, that's such a expensive thing to leave on the cutting room floor. And, oh, yeah, no, no, no. We never shot it. What I was going to say is that uh, it may have been an early draft of the script as well, mm-hmm. but I don't remember. And I certainly know that it wasn't in tune with the tone of the film. No, there was no, like, as much as, like, you know, some of the comic book crazy people like myself want um have that kind of stuff in there because it was in the comics i mean there's nothing that says space aliens in the movie so right and i do know i've looked at that comic book and several of them yeah there's a lot of space alien stuff in in the in the comic books but you know it doesn't fit with the tone or like like the mutagen's crazy enough we don't need to pile more crazy on top and the mutagen vanilla ice we already have our crazy things you got it you got it (laughs) absolutely were there any other deleted scenes? Were there any actual deleted scenes that, like, you... Oh, you know, I'm trying to think. I remember we were very short. 
and we were shooting and we were like, oh my God, the film's going to come in at like 80 minutes or something. So we added uh, two scenes or three scenes. And one of them, because we were down there in North Carolina, was contacting um, April from the, from the uh, set. You know, they call her when she's at work and Mikey and Donnie are speaking. Oh, yeah, the they're moving in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I played the, her boss. Oh, right. Oh, I think I knew that and forgot it. Yeah. And I was like, you know, April, I'm the manager here and all that stuff. Anyway, that was shot the last day to just add two more minutes to the story. We were, (laughs) you know, because it's one of the more fun ones too. Yeah. yeah, The credits go on for like five minutes at the end and the film is still only 87 minutes long or something. (laughs) It's, you know, so no, nothing, no scenes were cut. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it makes sense. It was just such a lean movie that you had to crank out. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I had a couple other kind of weird uh, little questions. If you don't know anything about them, that's fine. I- I'm curious, do you know why it was switched from uh, TCRI to TGRI? Because that was a, a change from the comics that some people might want to know about. But. What did TGRI stand for? Or what did TCRI- so I think it was TGRI in the movie, I think it was... They're going to kill me if I get it wrong. Uh, Technogenetic Research Institute. And Probably, yeah, that sounds right. That yeah. sounds right. And what was TCRI? The Technocosmic, which would include the aliens. I'm guessing that's why. That was why. That was okay. why. Yeah, you pulled that one out for me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to, yeah, I think that was it, and we didn't go there, so he just went to TGRI. That makes sense, for sure. Um, how Do you know how much time has passed between the first movie and the second? Because it... Part of it seems like it's been a little while, but then Shredder's been laying in the dump for a month. So I'm curious if we know how much time has passed between movie one and movie two. We never really, and I don't remember, and we never really made that a big issue. Yeah. But I think it was supposed to be in the minds of the story very recent because of that very issue, meaning Shredder was not dead. Right, for sure. So it could have been actually a couple of weeks because, okay. if, because if it's April living in her apartment and they're, you know, friendly with her and ordering in, yeah. then uh, there you have it. The uh, Super Shredder was, did you want to say anything about Super Shredder as a character? Because that was um, not really anything you want to say. I mean, I, uh, that was great fun, great payoff. Sure. And, yeah. um, uh, that whole set was fantastic the way we had to you know it was all light cardboard acting like real wood and then you put this <laughs> you know seven foot guy in it and it's all coming crashing down on him and then the east river when the turtle pods pop up you know that was on stage we had a we had a you know, uh, build a whole kind of um uh lake of sorts to have, fill up with water i mean it was pretty 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 uh, extensive you know, all those sets. I love that. That ending is very sweet. And I always like that little breather moment. It's very cool. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it was, you know, and I think, and I think, and the other thing too, that was really great. And we can talk about it for a minute was um, Kevin Clash, who played Shredder had been Elmo. If you know that he's the puppeteer who created Elmo mm-hmm. in, in, in um, Sesame he's, he's Splinter. Mm-hmm. And he was Splinter. And I think he improvised that last line. I made a funny. 
Oh, wow. That's cool. I don't think that's in the script. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, yeah, because they loved it. They, he said something like, I made it funny, you know, and it's like, boom, freeze frame. So that he, was, was, he was a puppet that I thought um, the look of him improved a lot in the second one. He just looks more better. Functional. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he was very scraggly in the first, right? Yeah, he seems like he, he like lost 20 years between the first and second movie. He's well, he had one hit movie under his belt, you know. Did, did, did uh, Splinter show up in the third movie? I don't know. Did he? He did, uh, he, but it was, um, it was a different company. It wasn't the Creature Shop in the third one, so the puppets all look a little not as good. I, I didn't think so either. I, I, I was really surprised that they didn't go with um, the Hensons. That was a real loss, I think, for the third movie. I think whoever they got, and I, I talked to somebody about this, I forget who, but it's just that some other company was willing to do it on the cheap, so they got that. But you lose a lot because, I mean, what was it like working with the Creature Shop for you? Cause that well, you see, here's the thing. I, I think that there was a, a little bit of a disconnect between the artistry of the Hensons and the company financing the film. There was a little bit of a, of a, a split. And why they were looking for a director like myself was that film, the first one, went double the schedule uh, and, and almost double the budget. Yep. And that's how the Hensons worked. It's kind of like, you know, uh, excellence and maybe even perfection came first. Yeah, sure. And it wasn't about speed what i think we accomplished was we were able to shoot the film on schedule and keep them to this rigorous schedule but made it realistic enough for them to accomplish what they needed to accomplish sure. so uh one of the things that i was able to do in the shooting of the film is and it was sort of my style anyway is that i thought comedy played best in group shots and master shots so i was able to keep these actors and puppeteers interacting within the same frame which involved a little more rehearsal but faster shooting because i wasn't doing all this incredible coverage all the time i wasn't shooting a lot of shots i was shooting you know i could do a scene and i'd have three angles or I'd have a master shot and one piece of coverage and da, da, da. but I wouldn't like cover every turtle single, you know, I would make it very, very organic and very much a, uh, a feeling of the camaraderie within the frame. Oh, that's and, true. Yeah. And, and that I think allowed for us being able to work a little faster and sure. we honored both the schedule, the budget and the quality of the of the turtles now things went awry things cost more cost more i know they were late with certain puppets and we were behind schedule and getting started but and it, and it was costly and it was costly and i just think the company went you know we can do the same for much cheaper and i think they were wrong yeah i, I think that's that's fair to say the, you know let me ask you your that movie is uh dedicated to the memory of jim henson was there any of that Kind of, uh, I mean, there were, I'm guessing he was, he had already passed by the time you joined, right? Literally died, I think, two weeks before we flew to London to meet our, our the, the team out there. They flew us to London to see oh, what wow. they were doing with Token Rezar and discuss the look 
And also we rehearsed for almost two weeks in, in London with the puppeteers who were working at the Henson shop. But Jim had died, I think, two weeks before and everyone was a bit devastated. So I think out of honor to him, they honored the movie. Yeah. Uh, to him. Um, and, it, the, the, and Brian Henson was a, was a lovely man and um, that's his son. And he was sort of in charge, but it was, it was very upsetting, you know, and, and um, uh, they were a little bit at sea. They were really lost without Jim. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I was curious about how they kind of functioned in that wake because he was such a creative force. He was the center. I mean, I, I, I wished I had the opportunity to meet him. Well, you know, it was my, my great loss in that situation. You know, I never got to meet him. Hmm, yeah. Well, it's, he's nicely honored in it. Um, yeah. Let me ask you, do you have any souvenirs from the movie? Any obscure piece of... I do. I okay. do. I have a Michelangelo head that sits in my basement. Oh, wow. Which is um, uh, a stunt head. It's not one with servers. It's just one that you can put on. And I suppose someday I could probably go on eBay and sell it for a couple of thousand or whatever, but I don't think so. And then I, and then I have um, a crew T-shirt and a crew jacket from the movie. Oh, very cool. And then I've got a lot of photographs. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just have one last question for you. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, who's your favorite turtle or do you have one? Uh, oh, that's fun. You know what? Don, Donatello and Michelangelo. The two ah, of them. Okay. For what it's worth. Cool. But you know what? That's not fair because I also like Leonardo and Raphael. So um, uh, there you have it. That's fine. I've asked the question. Terrific to work with, and um, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, Michelangelo as a character, forget the actors and the people who did. I thought was the most colorful character. Sure. You know, the movie version of him is a lot. Of, I mean, Robbie Rist, the voice actor, and and all. I mean, a lot of people, Michelin, Sisti, all these people went into it. But I mean, like that, he comes off really great in the movies. He's just a lot of fun. He kind of. Whenever the movies needed lightning, he kind of yes, he's he, the, he the it's stronger of the comic relief in my yeah mind. yeah yeah. So anyway, I'm all set here. I, I really appreciate talking to you. This was okay. really fantastic. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Brian, and uh, good luck with it. And let me know when you post it and all that stuff. I will take care. Thank you. All right. Bye. Go, ninja, Bye. Go, go, ninja, go, ninja, go. go, ninja, go.